everyone we are in the book of acts and almost exactly in the middle of the book of acts and i know i've said this a few times already but this is one of those passages that is a watershed moment it's a moment of clarity for the church in 1786 um, william carey was this man who had this passion for global missions and wanted to see the message of christ go around the world and he was sharing that in england and dr ryland who was you know well-known uh, teacher at that time said this young man sit down when god pleases to convert the heathen he will do it without your aid or mine now this isn't the first time or the last time where a movement of god a stirring of God or a work of God is actually discouraged or challenged from within the church. And our text today, what we'll be looking at, is very similar. It's, it's more than just the beginning of a new global missions movement. This is a moment of clarity for the church when it comes to the gospel. And sometimes we can throw that word, the gospel, around pretty easily. I know I do. I use it a lot. There's maybe this assumption that everybody knows and understands what it is. But this passage here reminds us that some people don't understand it. Some people have been in church or around Christianity for years and years, might misapply it, might misinterpret it, might miss the point of it completely. And so we are called again to understand what the gospel is and to have clarity around it the apostle paul uh, talks a lot about the gospel and in the beginning of romans he says this in romans verses one through four this letter is from paul a slave of christ jesus chosen by god to be an apostle and sent out to preach his good news that's what the gospel is it's good news Verse 2 says, God promised this good news long ago through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. The good news is about his son, Jesus. In his earthly life, he was born into King David's family line, and he was shown to be the son of God when he was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is Jesus Christ, our Lord. This is the gospel. The gospel is all about the good news of Jesus Christ, what Jesus came to do. And, and it really answers the question of, you know, why are we living in a broken world? Why is, you know, my life uh, filled with troubles and other people's lives filled with troubles? Why do I do things that hurt people or people do things that hurt me? It is, you know, these answers about the brokenness of the world. And then with that, the, the purpose and the, the meaning behind the arrival of Jesus Christ. Who was this man who came and lived and then ultimately died, was risen, rose from the dead, and then now people have been proclaiming the message of his life, death, and resurrection around the world for thousands of years. This is the gospel and so for us as citizens, we also want to be um, extremely clear on what the gospel is and what it means. Um, in our own mission statement, it says this, that we exist to see people come to know and be changed by Jesus. And we do this through simple, 
gospel-centered worship community and by making disciples who pursue mission in Elmira. So even in our mission statement at the center of it, we say that the gospel is really important. And so we want today, we want to look at this uh, passage and see that uh, there needs to be gospel clarity. And in our text today, in, in Acts chapter 15, um, we'll see that there is an attack on the gospel, on the clarity of the gospel from within the church itself. So it's not from outside. It's not from the Jewish religious leaders who aren't believers. This is from inside the church. So if you have a Bible, let me encourage you to turn to Acts chapter 15. And in Acts chapter 15, we are right on the, you know, just finished up um, Acts 13 and 14, where Paul and Barnabas have gone on their first missionary journey. They've traveled around through Asia Minor, which is modern day Turkey. And now they've come and they've ended up in Antioch. And there's two things that have happened, which has been the case throughout the book of Acts. One is that on this journey, they've had lots of opposition. There have been people that have um, been opposed to them, have persecuted them, have attacked them. But then the other thing that's happened is that people have come to faith. People have come and put their trust in Jesus Christ. And some of them are Jews and some of them are Gentiles. But God has done an amazing work throughout this missionary journey. And they come back now to Antioch. And at the end of chapter 14, it says that they arrived, they gathered the church together, and they declared all that God had done among them. So they're like testifying to, to the work of God. But it's right in this moment in Antioch, where there's a lot of Jewish people, there's a lot of Jewish believers as well, where they are challenged. And here's the challenge that's laid out for them. Acts chapter 15, verse 1, it says this, but some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers. So these are believers that heard about all that God had been doing. And then they came from uh, Jerusalem area to Antioch. And they said this, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of the law, you cannot be saved. So they're saying, man, you Gentiles who are putting your faith in Christ, this is great, but you are missing some of the story. There's more to what needs to be done to be a believer. You need to be circumcised if you're a man and you need to follow the customs of Moses. So a few verses down, Paul and Barnabas are arguing about this. They are, you know, defending the gospel and saying, no, this does not need to be the case. Um, they decide then to go back to Jerusalem to decide to figure out what is the, what is the Holy Spirit leading us to do? And the, the call again in verse 5 from those who are Jewish believers is this, but some believers who belong to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it's necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. So this is the challenge. This is what they're saying. They're saying, man, for these Gentile believers to become believers, to enter this church, they need to essentially become like, you know, what, what the Jews would have known as a, a proselyte or um, they would have had to, you know, do the customs of becoming a Jewish person. And we're left here with a couple of questions that's going to be answered in the next few verses. The one is this, is there anything that needs to be added to the gospel? Or is it simply hearing the message about Jesus Christ 
and putting your faith and your trust in that work. But secondly also is, how are they going to coexist as these two different cultures, this Gentile culture and this Jewish culture coming together into one body? And those are the two things that we're going to look at in the verses. And so this road to understanding clarity of the gospel and, and the gospel of grace goes through what's called the Jerusalem Council. And, and maybe your, your Bible, the top heading, will even say that, the Jerusalem Council. And this is the first of a number of councils in the early church to help clarify and solidify a doctrine and um, clarity around things like the gospel, like we're looking at today. And so as Luke records this council, he records three responses to this question from these Jewish believers. And he starts with Peter's. And so in verse 7, Peter is the one who speaks and he says this, After there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. So Peter says, listen, you guys have either heard the stories or you were there when God used me to preach the gospel and Jews and Gentiles all came to faith in Christ. And probably freshest in his mind is Cornelius. And if you studied with us a few weeks ago, you'll remember in Acts chapter 10, where God really reveals to Peter that he wants to, you know, bring the Gentiles into this church and make it a, you know, multi-ethnic, multi-racial church. And so Peter is the one who is goes to Cornelius' house, preaches the gospel, and Cornelius and those who are with him, they're all Gentiles. They put their faith in God, in the work of Jesus Christ, and they receive the Holy Spirit. And so Peter is saying, listen guys, you have heard these stories about Cornelius and these other Gentiles who they did nothing else. They heard me preach the gospel. And after they heard that, they put their faith in the message and they received the Holy Spirit. That's all it was. They didn't do anything related to the law. No minor surgeries were done. None of that kind of stuff. They put their faith in Jesus and they received the Holy Spirit. In addition to that, he says this in verse 10. Now, therefore, why are we putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? Peter says, listen, guys, Let's, those of us who are Jews, let's be honest. We can't keep the law. We've never been able to keep the law. And now we're going to tell these brothers that they need to keep the law. Why would we do that? His conclusion is this in verse 11. But we believe that we will be saved by grace, by the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. Peter says, man, what we have believed in as Jews not because of the law that we've been committed to that we couldn't even do. We kept, we've failed it all of our lives. But our faith in Christ is the same faith that they, the Gentiles, will use to, to be saved. And, and this is what the gospel is. So after Peter speaks, you know, he's like it or not, this is what God is doing in our midst. Paul and Barnabas give a similar word saying, man, what we have seen on our missionary journey 
is a work of God. In verse 12, it says this, And all the assembly fell silent. So man, after Peter has given that word, everybody's like, ooh, that's, that's, a pretty, that's a pretty good case. And that is based on evidence that we've seen and heard of what the Holy Spirit is doing. Then it says, And they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what, what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. So then Paul and Barnabas are telling all these stories of what God had done and all the wondrous things and, and these signs and these miracles that he had done among the Gentiles. Nobody keeping law, nobody getting circumcised, but believers now who have the Holy Spirit who are Gentiles. So the third voice that we come to is James. And James is well-respected in Jerusalem. He's the brother of Jesus. Like, just imagine that. One of Jesus' own brothers who was a doubter. I mean, he knew Jesus when he was young, teenager, young adult, before his ministry, you know, knew him before he was famous, whatever you want to say that. He knew Jesus, and now he's a believer, and he's one of the leaders in the church in Jerusalem. And James comes, and firstly, he affirms what Peter is saying. So in verse 14, he said, Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And, and then he says, and with this, the words of the prophets agree. And then he goes on to quote Amos 9. So, so James says, man, what, what Peter is saying the truth behind that statement is not just something that is present in our midst now, but he says this is actually something that the Old Testament has always been pointing towards. And he uses these verses in Amos, which are, are messianic. They are pointing to this, this future where God will have restored a relationship with Israel. And, and it talks about the, the tent of David that is broken down is now going to be rebuilt and be restored. And he says that kind of work that God is doing among Israel is the same kind of work he's doing now that he's going to use Jews, he's going to use whatever means he can to bring Gentiles along. And, and he quotes here, Amos 9 and 17 says, you know, I will restore it, that's the end of verse 16, that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord and all Gentiles who are called by my name. James is saying, listen, the prophets have all been pointing to this. His, his message is Gentile salvation apart from the law does not contradict what the Old Testament prophets have been saying. If anything, it is confirmed. It, it shows that what the prophets were saying and what God has been saying throughout the Old Testament is coming to a reality, coming to fullness um, right in their midst, right before their eyes. You see, the goal that God had, the mission that God had for Israel was not that Gentiles would always become like them, that, you know, that they would fully become Jewish over and over all the time, but it would be that they would worship God. Looking at the Old Testament, there's a lot of verses we could look at, but I just grabbed a few in Exodus 9 where Israel is, is leaving um, Egypt it says this in 9 verses 14 and 16. For this time I will send all my plagues on you yourselves. This is Moses speaking to Pharaoh. 
and on your servants and your people so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. But for this purpose, I have raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. Man, okay, this is the beginning here where, where he's saying, I'm going to use these plagues. I'm even going to use you, Pharaoh, so that the nations, the name of God will be proclaimed all over the earth. In Isaiah 42, verse 6, it says this, I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations. He's saying here to Israel. And then in Isaiah 49, verse 6, he says this, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach the ends of the earth. So what James is, is reminding the believers there is that God's vision has always been that Israel would be a light to the Gentiles, that Gentiles would come and put their faith in God and it wouldn't be based on them keeping the law but it would be based on them understanding God through his people and now he's saying the work that they're seeing here done in their midst of Gentiles coming without having to be circumcised or follow the law is consistent with what we're seeing in Amos and in the Old Testament prophets and so James gives his final judgment in verse 19. He says this, Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. So James says, listen, here's my judgment. We are not going to add anything to the to the grace that God has provided. We're not going to say to the Gentiles that you need to follow the law, that you need to be circumcised, that the gospel includes these other peripheral things. The gospel is what it is. You put your faith in Jesus and that's it. But he also says, but we are going to ask them to do these things. So what does this mean for us as we wrap things up here? It means two things. First is this, is that there is no barrier that we should put before people when it comes to the gospel. There should be nothing that is added to the grace that we have been given through the gospel of Jesus Christ. So this is, you know, if you look at a timeline, this is actually happening like 20 years after the resurrection. This is 20 years after the resurrection that there's still not full clarity on what the gospel is. And here they are um, wrestling with it one more time and they're coming to a point of clarity. And, and James and the council is saying, listen, the gospel is clear. We are not going to add any works to it, any type of thing that will, you know, create a, a barrier, create a, a wall that someone has to climb over to get to the gospel itself. And so even today, here in Elmira, in our own lives, there are secondary or cultural issues or, or things that we are familiar with that we can, that they can slowly become a small barrier or a large barrier for someone to get over 
to receive Christ as their savior. You know, whether it's things like, um, you know, what you what you wear to church, maybe. I know when I was a kid, that was a big thing. You know, how you're going to, you got to look a certain way. You got to, you know, make sure you're looking presentable. Or maybe it even comes down to something as like how you take care of your yard or your the work ethic that you have or, you know, the things that you like to do or the style of music you like. I mean, there's a list that is super long. It could be anything really that we put in front of people to say, you need to meet this standard actually before you can become uh, a Christian or you can even receive the gospel. This might uh, be something that is subtle or maybe as you think to yourself, you're like, that doesn't happen. Like I'm, I'm open-minded. I can accept people. And yet here we are, we see these believers who have, man, heard the gospel years. It doesn't say how many years each of them had heard it, but we know that this is 20 years after the resurrection. And there's still this baggage. They're still creating barriers to the gospel. And the Apostle Paul later in his writings in the New Testament makes it super clear that nothing should be added to the gospel. Like nothing at all. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It's a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Galatians 2.15 says this, We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Listen to this, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Nothing can be added to the gospel. What we receive, the Holy Spirit, all the gifts that we receive, you know, our spiritual blessings in Christ, those come freely as a result of the faith that we have in Jesus Christ. And so James in, in 519, in, sorry, in, in chapter 15, verse 19 says this, Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God. And let me encourage us as well. Let's not create barriers for people to come to God. Instead, let's just be free and tell them, here's what it is. This is the gospel. Christ has died for you. He has sacrificed for you. Put your faith and your trust in him. But a second question exists, and it's this. How do we coexist with different views as we come together as a body. So in, in the case of our text, it's Jews and Gentiles coming together. And here's what James tell them, tells them. He says this, abstain from what has been sacrificed, stay away from sexual immorality, you know, don't eat meat that has been strang strangled. So these are things that the Gentiles would have been really familiar with, right? Gentiles were coming from a sexually free culture. So they were used to people just doing basically whatever they wanted. They're used to eating food that has been sacrificed to idols. They're used to eating, you know, uh, medium rare steaks. And James is saying, man, these are things that will, will be a hindrance to your Jewish brothers. They will struggle with these things. And to the Jews, he says, listen, circumcision is not a requirement. 
and keeping of the law or maybe even like loving or understanding the law like your gentile brothers and sisters they don't know that this is not in their background they don't understand it and so james is asking both groups to set aside personal choices for the good and for the unity of others james is really calling them to set these things aside these secondary issues these are non non-gospel issues to set them aside for the sake of others and and the implication is this that grace should lead us to sacrifice for each other grace should lead us to to be willing to lay certain things aside for the good of others and for the sake of unity itself now this again you could go down and there's a whole you know there's a list of things that you could do um, maybe ones that come to our mind, you know, in the, in the Christian culture, big debates in the past, like, um, you know, drinking wine or different alcohol, you know, should I, sh should I not do that? Um, I know for me, when we were missionaries in Africa, we were in a Muslim nation. So there again, people not eating pork and so willingness to not do that, to, to forego actually eating pork. Um, in the midst of a, a country and with believers who had maybe been Muslims in the past and struggled with it. And, you know, whatever it is, um, you could debate these things or you could say, man, I'm free. I can do these things. But James is reminding us here, telling us, listen, there is actually a higher calling than just your personal freedom. There is a calling of unity for brothers and sisters in Christ to come together, to lay things aside for the sake of the gospel. Not, not because we have to do these things to get the gospel, but as a result of the gospel, we lay these things aside. So legalistic Jews willingly giving up on insisting that these Gentiles be circumcised and Gentiles willingly accepting a change to their eating habits and to some of the things that they were used to. This is loving compromise without changing the truth of the gospel. And I think it's a powerful message for us to hear. And so I hope that, you know, this will encourage you. Maybe it'll challenge you, strengthen you. And uh, in the end, in Acts chapter 16, verse 5, we see that, you know, they, they send this message out. It's a great encouragement to everybody. And in 16, verse 5, kind of in summary of this whole section, it says, So the churches were strengthened in their faith, and they increased in numbers daily. And God blessed the work that was happening among them as they were united together and as they had clarity about the gospel message. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this message. Thank you for the gospel for the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And that is a message, Lord, for everybody to hear. And we pray, God, that we would have clarity, that we would not add things to it, that we would not um, create barriers for people to have to climb over to be like us or maybe to um, make it seem like they are more Christian so that we will accept them. But we pray, God, that we will have clarity and trust in the message of the gospel and the work of Jesus through us. We pray this in his name. Amen.